This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. The explosion of at-home DNA test kits, which have been taken by millions of Americans, has opened a new world of opportunity for law enforcement to solve crimes. But there's no standard set of rules on whether police can access these databases, and if they can, under what circumstances. That decision is largely left up to the people who run the DNA companies. Today on the show, the inside story of how the founder of one of these companies wrestled with this decision, and what his struggle to define his relationship with law enforcement says about the future of DNA privacy. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. And I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Thursday, September 5th. One day, late in 2017, Bennett Greenspan, the president of Family Tree DNA, gets a phone call. Amy Doxer Marcus covers healthcare for The Wall Street Journal. As the president of a DNA testing company, Bennett Greenspan was no stranger to getting phone calls from various people. Often people would call him and say, hey, I've got this perplexing result. Can you talk me through it? Or I don't understand my DNA results. I need some extra help. And he was a genealogist himself. He loved doing it. And so he would spend time with them. But this particular phone call was unusual because the person on the other end of the phone was an attorney for the FBI. The attorney for the FBI wanted to talk to him about DNA testing. He explained to him that he had some DNA from a really horrific crime scene. He told him it was a rape, a rape scene. And they were running up against a dead end. They, they just could not identify this suspect. They had put the DNA into the FBI's sort of national database, and they were just coming up empty. They, they didn't have leads to who this person was, and they really wanted to try to catch him. Bennett Greenspan did not get into DNA testing for questions like this. He started the company because he was passionate about genealogy, and he was looking for a new business opportunity. He had spent most of his life running a business selling supplies for for photography, and he had sold the business and was sort of in between things, and he told me that he was hanging around the house a lot and he was starting to sort of um, alphabetize all of the food and the cans in his kitchen. His wife said to him, you know, do you have something else you could be doing? Do you have a hobby? Yeah, you you know, and he did have a hobby. Mm -hmm. In fact, his hobby and his passion was genealogy. He has loved genealogy, he said, since the age of 12. Bennett 
has been interviewed about it. My, uh, my grandmother died, and later that night when people came to the house to offer their condolences, I was walking around with a piece of paper and a, and a pencil saying essentially, tell me about, you know, where are you from? And where were your parents from? And what were your aunts and uncles' names? And do you know when they died? And when his wife sparked him to start thinking, what's my next act? What should I be doing next? He decided that he was really interested in genealogy testing. And he started the company in 1999, and they started offering the test in 2000. Family Tree DNA was one of the first companies to make DNA testing commercially available. Greenspan took a technology that was mostly used by academics and turned it into a test kit that everyday people could take it home, mail back to the company, and find out who they're related to and even where their ancestors came from. Now, 20 years later, it's one of the largest DNA testing companies with a database of more than a million people. It was that database of customers that the FBI attorney who called up Greenspan about the rape case wanted to access. And the FBI attorney said, look, you know, you have a DNA database that would allow access to a a, a wider pool of individuals. Could we somehow have our DNA from the crime scene processed and turned into a DNA data file? And then could we upload that data file into your database? And then just as is done sort of ordinarily, routinely with customers every day, could we then see if there are any DNA matches, any relatives in your database who might be a match for our suspect? So basically, they wanted to use the family tree DNA database by uploading the DNA of the suspect to try to identify the suspect or at least identify some of the suspect's relatives. They may not get the identity of the suspect immediately, but if we put the DNA into that database, we may get a match, a genetic match, with a distant relative of our suspect, the man that committed the crime. They can start to fill in the blanks and then supplement it with other kinds of publicly available information and slowly, slowly, slowly narrow down the pool of suspects. And how does Greenspan react to this request from the FBI to upload the DNA data from this unsolved rape case? He said he thought about it, but, you know, Greenspan said to him pretty much immediately during the course of the conversation, that's okay, I'll let you do it. Did he have any doubts that it wasn't a good idea? He didn't seem to have doubts about it. He really felt that it was the right thing to do. He said, I just felt as a human being, as a citizen, that I wanted to help. Not long after that, the FBI attorney came back with another brutal unsolved case. The second call took place in early 2018. He got the call again from the same FBI attorney that he had talked to. And this case, in some ways, was even more horrifying to him because he said it involved a dead child who did not have any identity known. He thought about that case in particular because he thought to himself, the very fact that there was this poor little child that nobody had come forward to claim that the child had been missing and unidentified for so long, he thought to himself, who wouldn't report a dead child? You know, maybe the family was involved in the child's death. 
I wonder if there's a, another child in this family's home. What if this child might come to harm? What if I, by cooperating and trying to identify this child, I'm able to prevent some harm coming from another child? All of this was racing through his mind as he's thinking about giving permission to do another data search in his database. In the end, Bennett Greenspan decided to give permission to the FBI for a second time. And was he able to help solve these crimes? In the case of the missing child, ultimately that specific case wasn't solved through familial matching in a DNA database. It was someone called Mm -hmm. the tip line and gave them a tip that they followed. So traditional police methods. Yes. What about the rape case? The rape case... He said that he was told later, he didn't know at the time, but he said that the rape case became part of this broader investigation that ultimately led to the identification of the Golden State Killer. Wow. A very famous case. Police in Sacramento County, California, believe they cracked the long cold case of the Golden State Killer. They did a surveillance and they waited for him to discard something into the public domain. They could then take that item back to the lab and try to generate a profile from that. Typically, DNA samples from crime scenes are compared to the FBI's database. But in this case, investigators did something very different. They turned to commercial DNA databases to find a family tree that led them to the Golden State Killer suspect, Joseph D'Angelo. This could be the first time law enforcement used commercial DNA databases to catch a killer. To be clear, family tree DNA was only part of what helped solve the Golden State Killer case. But the FBI told Greenspan that it was a factor. The key breakthrough actually happened later, when the data file was uploaded to another DNA database. But the success of the case put police access to DNA databases into the spotlight. It generated some public debates about genetic privacy issues as well, but it also sparked a lot of intense interest by all kinds of law enforcement, local, state, federal, in possibly exploring the use of this kind of genetic genealogy matching. And Greenspan gets a call from the FBI attorney who says, hey, could we do, could we do some more routine use of this? Could we, could we use your lab? Could we do this more routinely? And Greenspan's initial reaction at this point is, is no, no, I'd, I'd prefer not to do that. Because mm-hmm, he's sort of willing to help out in one case, but he doesn't necessarily want to formalize the relationship in the way that the FBI immediately wants to do. Correct. You know, the way he described it to me was, it's one thing to be like, you know, a good citizen when these urgent cases, I was worried potentially that another person might be in harm's way. But, but this other request is sort of like saying, you know, would you possibly think about opening up this other sort of arm of business? And his initial reaction was no. But the FBI attorney wouldn't give up. He continued to call Greenspan regularly. Sometimes he'd just call the chat. Other times he'd be more direct and make another request to access family tree DNA data. But Bennett Greenspan saw himself as a genealogist and a businessman, not a crime solver. And yet, the FBI kept calling. 
Eventually, Greenspan had to make a decision about his customers' data. That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Bennett Greenspan had allowed the FBI to access his DNA database to help them investigate two cold cases. And now he had to decide whether to share even more. The other major DNA companies, like 23andMe and Ancestry.com, say they don't cooperate willingly with law enforcement unless they get a court order or a subpoena. But with Family Tree DNA, the FBI wanted to make a special deal— Let's cut out the middleman and come straight to you. The FBI attorney didn't give up. He said, look, you know, I'm going to come to you with subpoenas now on a really frequent basis. Wouldn't it be easier if, you know, you don't have to go through this need to have lawyers and subpoenas? Isn't there a way that we could find an arrangement that we could work together? And he said that he felt that he did not want to deal with that. He does not have an in-house lawyer. He was using outside attorneys, you know, on an as-needed basis. Mm -hmm. And he said that he didn't want to have his own personal passion, the kind of family genealogy. He didn't want to be distracted from that with having to deal with subpoenas. And that was another sort of factor in his thinking on, well, maybe I should make a decision Greenspan decided to do it, to formally allow the FBI to access his DNA database. Greenspan said that he did not feel that the kind of access that the FBI would have would be any different than a typical customer. It wasn't that, in his view, he wasn't giving access, unfettered access, to genetic information. The information the FBI would receive in return would be the information a customer would receive in return. You know, they charge the FBI for the service of creating the files, uploading the data, you know, and doing the genetic matching and sort of like talking to them to sort of walk them through some of the stuff. So it's not like it's done as a, you know, free service. It's still a business. Mm -hmm. So he's sort of saying the FBI is basically like any other customer at the end of the day. That was his viewpoint. What was the ultimate arrangement that Family Tree DNA struck with the FBI? They agreed that they would, on a regular basis, allow the FBI under certain sort of restrictions of the types of cases that the debate over what types of cases kind of went back and forth. But ultimately, in cases involving homicide, sexual assault, child kidnapping, and the identification of deceased individuals to be the types of cases that they were willing to allow searching. They also determined a system of consent. What they said is that anyone who's in the database in the United States, U.S. customers, they would 
consider them available for law enforcement matching unless those customers took affirmative steps to opt out of it. So Greenspan makes the decision to work with the FBI, and and how does he decide to tell his customers about his decision? He goes first with his marketing director, and they sit down together, and one of the points that the marketing director sort of says to him is, we really need to explain to customers, will there be any limits? Like, where are we going to draw the line? And, you know, that's a question that is really hard to answer. And I think overall, you know, Greenspan feels so strongly that this is an important thing to do. And if I just, if I could sort of like sit down with every customer and explain it to them, I know that they'll see it my way. Because this is, I really believe in this. The plan they had was they wanted to create videos. He says, I don't want to just send out an email. I'd really like to have videos or, you know, something where I can really almost feel like I'm having a personal conversation with my customer and they can really see my facial expressions and how important this is to me. And they make a plan to do that. But he's going on vacation. This is a long planned vacation in mid-December 2018. And they they decide that upon his return in January 2019, they'll work on these videos. But The plan didn't go exactly as they wanted. Uh, They got a call from a reporter at BuzzFeed who said he was working on a story. They weren't able to sort of roll out the announcement in the way they wanted to do it. And when the BuzzFeed story appeared, they were really surprised by the public reaction. It got widely discussed, both among genealogists, you know, in this community of people that they knew very well, more widely. I mean, it was picked up and discussed by other publications. And Greenspan started getting, you know, a whole range of comments, including a lot of pushback. Family Tree DNA quickly published the videos of Greenspan explaining his decision. I would never do anything to betray the trust of my customers. And at the same time, I felt it important to enable my customers to crowdsource the catching of criminals. But Greenspan still faced criticism. Well, there were a lot of people who were upset by the fact that a single individual, you know, at a company could make a decision that would have impact on a lot of people. He told me that he had friends, you know, personal friends who said to him, you know, it just makes me really uncomfortable. When you take a DNA test, you're expecting to find a relative, perhaps, but you're not expecting that the person on the other side of the match might be a law enforcement person who's doing an investigation. And so that was part of the reaction, too. You know, I spoke with many people who said, I don't feel comfortable with law enforcement searching, but I'm okay with having my data used for research with pharmaceutical companies and other people who said exactly the opposite. Companies make these distinctions, and then customers are informed about, well, you know, 23andMe asks customers if they are willing to consent to have data used in research. And when they signed their deal with a pharmaceutical company, they sent an email saying, if you don't want it, 
consent for research for pharmaceutical companies, you can withdraw your consent. That approach of asking customers to withdraw their consent is what Family Tree DNA had offered its customers. But not many people did it. But according to Greenspan, fewer than 2% have opted out. So that's a small number. Now, Greenspan's viewpoint is this confirms what I believed, which is people understand that this is being done to solve terrible crimes and that as good citizens of a society, we have a vested interest in finding criminals and helping solve missing persons cases or unidentified victims. We want to bring closure to families. I think that my decision was the correct one. Genetic privacy experts argue, well, you really can't know for sure because people have to take proactive steps and people don't like to take proactive steps. It's it's very complicated to explain to them. How do you know for sure that they've consented? Therefore, the most ethical thing to do is to go to every single person and tell them, if you want to do this, if you share my vision that this is an important thing for society, you should opt in and consent and be affirmative that you want to participate in this. What do you think the lesson is here for people who are maybe thinking about doing one of these DNA tests for themselves? I think that often people get DNA tests as gifts and they think it's fun and that it's sort of a light kind of almost piece of entertainment. Won't this be wonderful? And you know what? For many people, it is. It's amazing the things you can find out. And there have been there are so many wonderful, heartwarming stories. And there's also a lot of surprises that have come. Before you decide to do a test, at least understand what are the rules of the company that you've chosen and do they fit your viewpoint, you know, your vision for what you want to do with your DNA. Bennett Greenspan, I understand he hasn't really told his story before. Why do you think he decided to talk to you? I think that, you know, he was surprised in some, I think, and and felt a little bit misunderstood at the public controversy. I mean, you know, there are other people who have weighed in and said he shouldn't have been surprised, but he did feel surprised. And I think that he wanted to explain his reasons for doing so. And I think that he believes that if he's able to explain it, that more people will agree with him than will not. Whether he's right in that viewpoint remains to be seen. Kate here. In yesterday's episode, we looked at WeWork, the most highly valued startup in the U.S., and how, as the company prepares for its IPO, Questions are being raised about its business model and high valuation. Today, sources tell the Wall Street Journal that WeWork's parent company is considering slashing its valuation in half, from $47 billion to around $20 billion. And WeWork has also been talking to one of its biggest investors about delaying the IPO. For more background on WeWork, tune into yesterday's episode. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.